Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into the 100th episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen, and I am here with Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, it's the 100th episode. It we is, made it. It's amazing. How's it going, man? Hey, I'm doing great. All right. Okay, so we are here on the heels of what I think was a was a success, a relatively successful virtual summit. So we Agreed. held the Alternative Wealth Building Virtual Summit for High Income Earners yesterday. We had a jam-packed day. We had more than 600 people register. We had a lot of people on throughout the entire day. Mm -hmm. And again, we had an awesome speaker lineup. So I was excited about it, Rod. What'd you I think? It went off really well. Again, like you said, the, the speakers... Uh, they brought the energy. They brought the information. Really cool stuff. So I was really pleased with how it how it worked out. Okay, so one of the things I liked about it, especially early on, is that the and we talked about this. The speakers were like interwoven. Like it it just was fluidly going from one person to the next. Mm -hmm. We were able to like reference back to what Sharon said to build on the topic that we were hitting on, yeah. or reference back to what Adam said, or 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 whatever, what Tom was going to talk about, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these experts in their space kind of brought together what we were hoping, like a vision of bringing together, educate, oh wait, I gotta go in order, exposure, education, and access. And I think we accomplished that. So from that standpoint, like, I'm excited. Does it sound like we're like giving ourselves big pats on the back? Well, right here, here, I was actually going to give you a pat on the back <laughs> because uh, it's been a while now that you've had this vision of doing something like this, right? And and then probably six months ago, it really we really just started kicking in gear. And it's like, hey, we're going to do this. We're just going to put it together, no matter what it takes. And so anyway, I, I that, that's what I was thinking at the end of the day when it was all said and done. I was like, man, Christian had this vision. And it it turned out a little bit different than you know the, maybe what the original vision was, but I I thought it was good. I thought it was too. I really liked it. Like I like we talked about, there were a few things I probably well there are some things that we'll do better next year. And by the way, let that be a uh, message to everybody. We will have a second one. I went into this with every intention of doing a second and mm -hmm. a third and a fourth, mm -hmm. um, and so on. But I also left at least a little bit of opportunity there that if it was a disaster, then maybe we just wouldn't worry about it. But sure. since it went as well as it did, and thanks to our marketing team and our speakers and, of course, everybody that attended, it really did go well. So that was super fun. Yeah. Um, okay, Rod. So today is our 100th episode. We wanted to do something a little bit unique, different, special. So since we're on the heels of the virtual summit and we had this lineup of really incredible wealth building minds all together. Um, well, first of all, Hillary, our marketing person had a, had the good idea of making sure we do a question and answer at the end, mm -hmm. which can I just be honest with you, Rod? I was a little, I was a little skeptical on just cause I didn't know how many people we would have like there and active throughout the yeah. entirety of the day. Right. Um, and so you never want to put these on and have like nobody ask, like no questions to ask. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, we, we had good attendance, we had good participation and we had a lot of good questions. And so we were able to fill up the time. Now, a couple of thoughts here. 
Um, here's our, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play for our hundredth episode, the question and answer series with our panel of attendees. Rod, why don't you go over the panel of attendees really quick? Absolutely. So we have Sharon Lecter. Who was Tom... amazing, by the way. I, I'm going to say that about all of them. Yeah. But man, I really love Sharon. Um, she has this like, this like, I get it done and motherly vibe all at the same oh, yeah. time. It's Absolutely. just awesome. Anyway, yeah. she, she was great. Absolutely. No, and, and I can see why she's successful at, at the kinds of things that she's done because she is like a, like you said, a, a get her done kind of person. Um, but she has just this, this way about her uh, that, that it's like a, she's a magnet for, for people who also want to get her done. Right. Yeah. She so, is. And she loves assets. Yeah. Assets. Yes. 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 <laughs> that was perfect. Okay. So yeah, Sharon Lecter, uh, co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and, and many other of the Rich Dad books. Uh, in, yeah, it was funny. Right? She has like a uh, the picture of her that she shows that has like 30 books stacked on each other. She's just done a whole bunch of stuff. Awesome picture. Yeah. I also yeah. did not know that that she had won that award for being like one of the most influential leaders in the financial space. Like yeah. one of the I don't know. It was like seven most influentially. So like, it was cool. We had, we basically had a, like a living legend. She's going to mm -hmm. go. I mean, you think about that, that series, um, cash flow quadrant, but the rich dad series, like it's iconic. Um, and anyway, she really brought it. So that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Sharon was there, Tom Wheelwright, which again, you know, well known in our community. And can I just tell you, Tom brings the energy, like, yeah. Okay, this is going to sound funny, but I was like, I wonder how old Tom is. Like, can I just tell you, he looks and feels younger than he is because he brings the energy and passion to tax. Yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> um, I was thinking to myself, like, gosh, maybe it's time I just go, like, maybe we need to just go hire Tom. Uh, we, uh, like, He's just good, right? Yeah, he is. <laughs> and again, the way he teaches and brings the energy, it makes you feel like, Hey, we can really get something done. And our experiences, the people that work with them have. So it was really fun to have uh, right. Tom on it with us. Yep, absolutely. Okay. We also had Adam Carroll, founder of the Shred Method. Founder of the Shred Method and the two-time TEDx speaker. I love, I love Adam for a lot of reasons, but mm -hmm. a couple of thoughts that came to mind is one, I love that he was so that he participated with us really across the board in every way. Mm -hmm. He promoted yeah. it to his audience and like really he, he was great. Um, he's super polished when he talks. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's fun. It's easy to keep up with. Right. And then I keep saying this. I'll say it over and over again. But if you haven't seen um, his TED Talks, you really need to go listen to him. They're just a lot of fun. Like it'll kind of like warm your heart and inspire you all at the same time. Absolutely. And he was on the road, so he wasn't in his normal location. So when he makes a little comment about uh, about where he is, the laptop, thing. that's right. Yeah. But but again, we appreciate it because he had another event that he was doing basically simultaneously mm -hmm. that he'd been asked prior to getting the invitation for us. So but he still made time both for his talk to be there live and for the Q&A, which was Absolutely. awesome. So yeah. we appreciate it, Adam. Yep. OK, we also had Ken McElroy, who. Just the king of multifamily. Yeah. Well, did you hear what Sharon called him? She said that he is um, uh, the what did she was it the a whisperer something of a <laughs> the whisperer of creating uh, multi streams of income. 
I can't remember or, or master of or something like that. And yeah. this is this is funny because Sharon, of course, and Ken have this connection through the Rich Dad Network, but mm -hmm. they haven't been together in that world for many years. Yeah. And yet it was just kind of interesting. There's clearly like a mutual respect of Sharon. Basically, she was saying um, Ken's the man when it comes to multifamily real estate. And yeah. it sounds like based on um, everything I know about Ken and just, you know, I, I don't have like we've met a few times. We've spoken together at some of Buck's conferences and mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. but we don't have as much of a personal relationship with Ken. Uh, but it feels like he's fit in the mold of wanting to educate. I actually kind of assumed yeah. he was really like trying to focus only in a specific grouping. But as you go to his website, he's got stuff for whether you're a beginner, a mediary across the board. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of passionate about educating. So it was mm -hmm. cool to have Ken on the, on the panel with us. Absolutely. Okay. Also on the panel, we had Buck Joffrey. Gotta love Buck. We've worked with Buck for many years. And uh, Buck's been an incredible partner of ours. Many of the people that we that listen to us and talk to us today are a result of our relationship with Buck. So, and he was he's great. He's super thoughtful. Uh, he has good ideas, and you know he articulates it in a way that people people tend to resonate with. So, yeah, I thought it was awesome to have Buck. Um, and same thing, he was great. Made time to come both to the, both panel sessions mm -hmm. and uh, anyway, so we appreciate it. Have a buck on. He was great. Yep, absolutely. And then our, our one person that was a presenter, but wasn't able to come back and be with us on the Q and a was Chris Larson. So I just have to shout out for him. Cause uh, he, he came, brought some good stuff as well. Like you said, he was great with promoting it and is a really good partner kind of in, in the whole huge shout out to Chris. Yes. He, he was awesome at promoting it. Um, Chris, Chris has been a good partner for us for years and years as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought his story was awesome. Like, right. His story is awesome. And I thought he delivered it really well. Chris, if you're listening, we were sad to not have you on, at the, on the Q and a panel at the end, but thank you so much for delivering uh, a high impact talk to the group. We had a lot of great comments about how good it was. All right. So that's our panel. You oh, and yeah. I, you okay, and I, I moderating. Like, I was like, who else is there? Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we pretty much left the questions out that were specific to you and I for this. Mm -hmm. So, all right. There's probably for the hundredth episode, we're going to say, listen to these people who are just experts, educators, masters in their field. And you don't have to listen to us today. Right. So we're going to take a step back. We'll let the masters speak for themselves. And without further ado, Rod, why don't we just jump into the question answer series that we had at the end of our summit yesterday? First question I have on here is for Adam Carroll. Adam, they said, can you shred multiple properties at the same time or is it best to just focus on one single property at a time? That is a great question. Um, it is best generally to shred one property at a time. Um, now, that being said, some of these properties that you might be shredding, it may make sense to do it for six to 12 months and then shift to another. So the, the software does a pretty effective job of figuring out what the delta is in terms of which ones you would want to do and when. Um, and we obviously work with our clients one on one in a coaching uh, context around that as well. But definitely, you would probably want to do one at a time as opposed to multiple at a time. Excellent. Good, good. Um, okay. Quick question I had for, for Ken from the chat that was fun. Uh, Ken, how can Canadians invest with you? 
That's their question. How oh. can Canadians invest yeah. with Ken? A. Oh, well, you have to say A afterwards. Yep. Um, and then you're good. Just say A and you got it. <laughs> um, well, so thank you for the question. I, I think um, one of the issues uh, that we found with foreign investors, so it doesn't necessarily matter um, where, is that they typically have to set up um, a U.S. entity and with a bank account attached to it, and then and then it's super easy. So it, it's a lot harder after the 9-11 uh, stuff that happened, but um, that's how we've been doing it. Excellent. Thanks, Ken. Hey, Buck. Or, uh, sorry, Rod, I'll let you take yeah. the next, go to the next question. Yes, the next question is for Sharon. Uh, what alternative investment categories do you see trending in the current economic environment? Well, I think you absolutely had the best presentation on that from Buck. I sat through his presentation. So from a standpoint of, of where it's heading, Kenny's always on the forefront when it comes to uh, apartments. And hello, Kenny. Good to see hey, you. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Good. good. Yeah, hey, Ken. Hey, Sharon. Good, all good Steve, friends, Adam, right? Adam, thank you so much for all your wonderful comments. I really appreciate You're it. You're so welcome. Um, this is like a welcome home week. So sure. I think alternative investments, one of the best things you need to do is understand your risk tolerance and and take the time to get educated, as Buck talked about. You know, it, it has a lot of upside potentials, but you got to do the work and you got to be um, and don't try to do eight things at the same time. Get good at one thing and keep going and redo it. You heard Buck talk about his his trajectory as he went and got excellent in one thing and then moved to another and then moved to another and opens it up for other people. So make sure you get the education and make sure you have the right advisors. It's so important. You know, there's a lot of people out there that uh, that have a great deal and get your money. I have no clue what they're doing with it. So make sure you've got people that have the experience, the education, and many of them are on the screen right now. Beautiful, thank you, Sharon. Okay, Buck, this next question, how much is bonus appreciation going away, going to change the attractiveness of the multifam of just multifamily real estate investing in general? Well, I don't think it changes it that much. I mean, we cost segregation analysis is not going away, right? So you're always gonna have that accelerated component of the depreciation at least at five years, but you know I mean? Enjoy it while it lasts having a little bit more in the first year. Um, and we sat through a couple of years of 100%. Now we're at 80, you go to 60. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think um, overall the attractiveness really changes it in comparison to other asset classes. Um, I'm sure Kenny has a thought on that too. Yeah, it, we're not seeing any. I think, you know, real estate, uh, well, many things offer great tax advantages. 80, 80 or 60 is still good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the better in the stock guys, right? Plus, yeah, plus you can do cost segregations and all right, these other things right, right. that, you know, actually accelerate it. So, yeah, it's still yeah. good. Hey, Tom, looks like this one is for you. Will bonus depreciation be beneficial for a primary residence whereby I short-term rent 30% of the property? Yeah, so I, I, I need to be really clear on this. So does that mean you rent it for 30% of the time or do you literally rent out 30% of the property? So those are two different answers. In order to get any depreciation in excess of your income from it, you, you can't use it more than 10, personally, more than 10% of the time you rent it out. So if you rent it out for um, say 90 days, you can't use it more than nine days a year, okay? And still get the full depreciation benefits. On the other hand, if you basically said, well, wait a minute, I have a, I have a, a, a I rent out my garage 
there's a room over the garage and the garage itself. And I ran out, the, I, I ran out the garage that you absolutely would get it. So it, it would absolutely, it, depending on the, the, the dollars, but it would, it would probably be worth it. Yes. But two different, two different situations there. Yeah. It sounds like that's the case. The second one you mentioned, cause she clarified, I ran out 30% of the property. Okay. So. And yeah, as long as it's, you, you need it, that 30% is just rented out. There are rules, by the way, you do need to sit down with your tax advisor because there are rules um, for something that is used for both, even if it's, if it's part of the building. So if, let, let me give you an example. I'm in my studio here and my studio is a separate building from my house. I literally have a 10, uh, 15 foot commute. And so because it's separate, it can be a hundred percent business and I don't have a problem. If it were part of the house, I'd have a problem. Okay. If it was a home office, that's one thing, but home office is an exception to the general rule. So you really do need to sit down with your tax advisor. I'm giving you very general education. Do not take this as advice. I am not your tax advisor and I'm not licensed to give you tax advice because I don't have an engagement letter with you. I'm not, I'm not allowed to do that. So um, please don't, you know, one of the dirty dozen for the IRS this year is uh, social media tax advice. I agree with that one. It, Education is one thing. Don't be getting advice at a webinar. Don't be getting advice at a seminar. Uh, make sure you, this is where you need a, a good CPA with a strong network. Okay, well said. Awesome. Okay, Ken, this next one is for you. Uh, it's, it's a, it actually comes more as a comment, but you talked about the commercial buildings being in trouble and then needing more apartments. So the, the comment here is convert all those commercial buildings to apartments. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about that, but... It, I've never seen one that actually could work. Uh, you know, it has to be just right. You know, there's common areas and they're, they're less, they, they, they just don't have the same setup. Um, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a real issue. I believe I, I, there's lots of people looking at this very, very seriously. Um, but you know, how many people really want to, you know, you know, part, part of, you know, the common area is a big, big, big piece. And that just doesn't necessarily, it's just not set up with the, 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 the think of the bathrooms and, you know, all the, uh, all the plumbing and all the electrical, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's going to have to be that special building. I think some will work, but I think the majority will not. Okay. Um, this one's kind of a general question. I'm going to, I guess I'll kind of be responding to it. And they say, I'm interested in looking into investing in industrial real estate, most likely as an LP. Do any of you have a recommendation or person or business you could recommend as really good operators in this asset class? Uh, so my thought is that you're probably looking at great people that you could talk to about these things. Um, both uh, Ken and Buck work in that space. Well, I, I don't well, have so you're not an industrial. You're right, Ken. Yeah, no, we haven't done any either. I have friends that are in it. Um, I would suggest that they go to some of the IMN conferences or, you know, some of these uh, these big uh, IRAM or, you know, some of these big there's there's whole networks uh, for industrial specifically. I've been to a couple of them and, you know, it's it's a big, big business. So, um, you know, that would be a good place to start. Yeah, good thought. I, mean, I missed that they said really, industrial real estate. Yeah, it would be an interesting, um, you know, for me, as, as you know, part of what I try to do is try to find uh, partnerships with people who are really good at what they do. And I don't know anybody in industrial, but I, 
I would love to find a great operator in a store. I think it's a great space to be in. So good luck. And let me know if you find one. So yeah. Okay. Well. Good thought. Okay. Now for Adam, does the shred technique work if all discretionary income is currently being saved for annual deposits to fund investment optimizer and trying to accelerator accounts for the next two to three years? Mm, does it still work? Yes. Uh, do you need to change the way the, the discretionary income flows through the system? That would also be yes. Um, and candidly, what will happen is the interest that you would normally pay to the bank, you're going to recapture it and put it in the investment optimizer account. Um, I know it it's, could sound like a bit of a shell game, but it really is amazing how this works when you factor in just how much interest you're sending to a bank every year. Um, and, and candidly, uh, the reason that, that I really wanted to share the shred method with your guys' audience is for people who maybe don't think they could do the investment optimizer and invest at the same time, you, you absolutely can when you're using the system effectively. Perfect. Okay. Our next question, Sharon, who's, who's generally been the most successful that you've worked with working in your program? Yeah, that's the question. Wow. Where, where do I begin? <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a general question, so yeah. it's hard. Well, I do. I have a client. She's 35. She was um, homeless, started working for free for a couple of real estate guys in Nashville. She's been the entrepreneur of the year. She now owns a private island. Her net worth is about $400 million and she's 35. So I think she's probably uh, could qualify as a pretty successful. And she also has created a huge nonprofit, GForce, and she has a team of people that go into um, areas impacted by hurricanes or sex trafficking. She brought out 158,000 people from Ukraine with her nonprofit. So I'm really proud of her because she at 35 has made a huge mark on this world and, and she's just getting going. So That's a good story. Sounds mm -hmm. like you're saying just about anybody can get real value. Well, that's my goal. That's why I do what I do. Love it. Okay. Awesome. Hey, Buck, do you have advice specifically for other physicians who are trying to follow a similar path into the alternative investment world? Um, yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know if it's advice or not, but I, I think what I did was unusual, um, by leaving, I mean, I left medicine now seven years ago. Um, I think what you, here's the thing is like, I left medicine because I was ultimately, I'm an entrepreneur and I think for most people, um, I, I do believe that you're kind of, you either are entrepreneurial, you have that in your blood, that you're really out there, that's what you need, um, or you're not. And it it doesn't, so my point is, it's not for everyone, I think, to go out there and, you know, become a full-time uh, investor, a professional investor. Obviously, I'm big in real estate, but all these other alternative assets that we're hitting. I would say that, um, don't quit your day job unless you are, you know, you're, you're quite sure that that's what you want to do. Um, but think about your money less as dollars and more as a way to sort of create another business, right? I mean, investing, I think you should think of as another business. I think that, you know, too many people are so passive about it. I think the best way to approach personal finance is to think about your own money 
as a different kind of business that you're running. And you don't need to quit your day job to do that. You just need to pay a lot more attention to it and be very active in it. Um, so I, I think it generally speaking, that's probably what my advice would be, but. Yeah, great thoughts, Buck, thank you. Okay, Ken, um, you mentioned in your uh, talk that most people that have been in real estate more recently over the last 10 years has just, just seen it go up. What, what kind of advice are you giving to people who are new coming into this world where it doesn't look like they can just, you know, throw a dart at an asset and have it go up? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, well, first of all, you don't need money to buy. That's number one. So you can start at any time. So that should not be an obstacle. I, that is most people's obstacle for the first time. But uh, my experience has been that people invest in real estate and then they look at the team so that the real estate provides cash flow and then the team produces that or not. So, so if you can see the deal and you have a team, uh, the money actually, no matter what, cause I raised a lot of money, uh, in, uh, nine, 10, 11 and 12, um, uh, out of Canada, ironically. Uh, and, um, you know, so that's, that's the first thing. Second, there are tremendous opportunities, even though some, you know, as I said, there are uh, these migration patterns and the, the way people have moved around in the last couple of years have created, uh, you know, supply and demand issues all over the country. And, um, and I, I'm seeing tremendous uh, uh, opportunities in, in multiple sectors, you know? Um, and so, you know, we're still looking yeah, we, we, we did, uh, we looked at, uh, we underwrote 14 deals last week and made offers on three this week. Um, so we're still actively looking. It just uh, has to follow the math, you know, it just has to cash flow. So I, I think the people that are going to get swallowed up in the next couple of years are the ones that have a capital gain strategy. In other words, they bought something and they hope that it continues to go up. Um, the ones that are going to be fine are the ones that have, cash flow strategies and and um you know so it doesn't really matter what goes on with the equity itself if that makes sense mm. all right time here comes the next one i'm a dentist and i own my dental practice and don't really see patients very often anymore can i make the income i make from that from active to passive i think your answer probably well it, it it really depends on how long you've owned the business so if you're in a professional services business like a dentist or an accountant. Um, if you've been active for three years or more, you are forever active. So the only way to go from active to passive would be to have somebody else be the owner. You, you would not be able to make it passive by you still being the owner if you owned it for more than three years. Interesting. Hey, Adam. Is the shred method more effective than a first lean HELOC? Another great question from the audience. Um, my, my gut answer is yes, it is more effective. And here's why. First lean HELOCs, there is a psychological component to it. And when you have a first lean HELOC, it doesn't really ever feel like you're making that much headway using it. Whereas if you're using the shred method, the, the sweep account, if you will, the strategy behind that is the sweep account exists. It's always in motion, but you don't really pay much attention to it. 
you're really focused on the pay down of the principal on the loan itself. So is it as, as effective? Yes. Does it feel like you're gaining ground as quickly? I would say no. Um, so for that reason, you know, anyone who has a first lien HELOC will often coach and counsel them on how to use this system instead of theirs. But we'll ask psychologically, what are you after? You know, do you want the satisfaction of having things knocked down? If so, shred is probably a much better option. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Sharon, what, what's the best way to include spouse and children on learning the alternative information? But I, I'm kind of changing it a little bit to what's the best way to include spouse and children in general financial information and um, becoming more involved? You start talking about it and include them in the process. As an entrepreneur, you're the greatest um, teaching ground there is. Let the kids see what you're doing and and make sure. And if you are an entrepreneur and your spouse isn't on board, who what this going to be rough waters? You got to be able to be in this together. I've been married 43 years, and um, you got to respect your spouse as much or more the, as you love them because sometimes the love gets challenged and the respect steps in. So it's really important to everybody to be on the same page. I had, you know, didn't I didn't realize until I was an adult how what a great childhood I had. We talked about things like assets, cash flow, and appreciation at the dinner table. I had no clue that that was an unusual thing for me until I got into the real world. And it's really criminal that we're not teaching our kids about money in school. And that's why my hair is so white. I've been working on it for a long time. It used to be red. It used to be red. Um, but you know, it's we have. It's going to take us a long time to change the, the school system. But it's up to us as parents, caring adults, aunts, uncles, grandparents, to make sure our kids have the tools to succeed. Because you know, the world has changed and is continuing to change. And every change in the economy, we need to give our kids the tools so that they can not just live well but rebound from those failures because we all have them and understand success is not a straight line so communicate there are tools out there that can help you teach your kids there are tools out there that can um, make sure that you have a plan with your spouse so that you are all pushing in the same direction yeah that's great adam has practical application adam i don't want you don't you don't have to redo your ted talk but maybe you can talk really quickly about what you guys did yeah, we built a really cohesive allowance plan for our kids, um, and it was based on them making financial decisions on their own in you know short bursts. They they needed to have cash in hand, and I made sure that it was cash. My wife and I, um, because so many of their friends were using debit and credit cards and Venmo and Cash App, which as I mentioned in my session, all of that is very abstract. Um, I think that young people today they need to tangibly understand money decisions before they're 18 to 24 and they're being offered uh, you know, high interest student loans that really almost put them in a four year bubble where there are no consequences of their actions. Um, so I wanted my kids to have consequences at the 10 and 15 and 25 and $50 mark so they could understand how to make 500 and 5,000, even $50,000 decisions. And I've got three incredibly money savvy little buggers at home as a result of what we've done. Um, super proud of their decisions. And uh, candidly to, to this audience, I always told my kids that I wanted that I wanted them to have an MBA before they ever went to college. And the MBA stood for a massive bank account. Uh, and so far they've, they've all done it. So super proud of them. Very cool. Nice. And I, I wanna just throw out a little bit here. 
uh, as maybe as much of a thank you for sharing because uh, our family has greatly benefited from Cashflow 101 and maybe even more so Cashflow for Kids. It was always a huge moment when we could cheer and celebrate when they became a Cashflow kid. And I don't know if those are still in print, but anybody, if, if you're not familiar with those, take a look at those. Thank you, uh, Rod. I also have a new one. It's called Thrive Time for Teens. Okay. Specifically to what Adam's talking about. You have those consequences. Every decision you make for kids, it either drives them, whether it's their time or their money, makes them, drives them to success or not. So it's called Thrive Time for Teens. It's on Amazon. It's not very expensive. Awesome. But really, it's got a lot of humor in it. You know, drop yourself cool. in the toilet. You got to pay for a replacement, right? So um, <laughs> it allows them to have realized um, mistakes and the consequences without having to suffer the pain. So awesome. Yeah. Okay, That's perfect. Next question uh, is for Ken, and it's a little long one, so it's kind of multiple parts, but it says, one of the things that is critical to passive real estate investing is vetting the operators. What kinds of things did you observe during the recent changes in real estate that operators did to protect investors, and what about any red flags to watch for? Well, I think they're just starting to show up. So, you know, I, I own my management company, I've been in management for, actually I started in it right out of college. So I understand it. I think what happens is you have people that can raise money and you have people that can manage. And I don't think they're always the same people. And so what happens is not, not that they don't understand that, you know, they've certainly tried a lot of them are th uh, doing third party management. Uh, a lot of them manage them themselves. Some of them found good partners. So there are solutions to all of it. Um, but um, I think that is actually what's going, you're going to start to see that issue more than anything uh, come up because the truth, the truth is when rents are growing like they have been, you know, uh, it covers up a lot of inefficiencies. And, uh, you know, when, when money is being paid out to investors, nobody's calling. So, you know, now we're, we're going to start to see that with some of these debt issues, I think, that are coming. And so, um, you know, it's going to boil down to the experience and the team and how deep the benches and the systems and, you know, all the things that you would you would imagine for any kind of a business. Uh, you know, property management is a is a thousand things that have to be done well and managed and tight and and daily. And, um, you know, if a company doesn't have that, then it'll start to show up in the numbers. Yeah, thank you. Maybe, Buck, you, you have a lot of experience in that as well. It, maybe we can uh, see if you had any additional thoughts. I, I think, um, you know, I think I agree with Ken. I mean, I think um, uh, with regard to, you know, what we've, we've been doing in my group, I mean, it's always been a, a very important uh, element to me to make sure that we have you know, all the different parts uh, that make a successful business. And, you know, my partnership with Western Wealth Capital, actually, uh, it's funny because, you know, Ken, Ken was one of the guys I called before I committed to joining up with those guys uh, because he knows Dave Steele for a long time. I, I, I really felt like I needed to vet people before I decided that I can, you know, join in. I know what my skill sets are and they're not property management, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a good macro guy, you know, I'm, I have a pretty good sense of that kind of thing. I'm good at raising capital when I see good opportunities, those kinds of, I needed to make sure that I had the, you know, the, the teams that could execute. So that's really important. I think, I think what Ken is getting at 
and um, a little bit, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think I think that it, during this last several years, one of the things that happened uh, was there was a there was really a, a significant number of these sort of pop up courses for real estate syndication. And not that that's a bad thing. I mean, people need to, you know, learn how to get into the business and stuff. But, you know, I think the propagation of this idea that, you know, it's easy that you make so much money so quickly by being a real estate syndicator. Um, I think that I think those some of those situations are going to come home to roost because not everybody who was doing that really wasn't really trying to get really going to really willing to do the work, you know. They want to ride the wave and they did and they made money. But now if you're holding on to those types of things and you're not trying to actively improve a property, you're not actively trying to, um, you know, try, trying to increase rents and decrease expenses and run efficiently. Uh, like Ken said, those kinds of efficiencies matter now. And uh, I guess that's, that's what I would add to it. So. Yeah. Thank you, Buck. You guys probably touched on this, both of you and your, um, talk here, but but the next question is, what are you investing in right now? Are there or what opportunities are you anticipating? And really, the question is for anybody that has thoughts on it. Um, I could tell you what our our you know approach is right now. And again, you know, uh, although I am involved in my group is involved, I think heavily in real estate. We're we are a little bit agnostic. We're really looking for opportunities. Um, you know, I, we just joined, um, my, uh, actually my brother who's, uh, was uh, running the sovereign wealth fund of Bahrain and he get, decided to leave and join up with me. Um, that gives us a tremendous ability to do things in the private equity world and business related type things. So we're looking more broadly now because I think, uh, there's always opportunities, right? There's always opportunities. The challenge is, is if your specialization is in something and it's a down market, um, then you're kind of just, you know, you just kind of have to sit there and wait. But luckily he's, you know, he's got these other things. So we're looking at, for example, the uh, the cargo ship thing that I was talking about in my talk. I mean, it's, I would call it very much a recession proof type thing where, talking about essential oils and, uh, you know, that countries need uh, in order to operate. So I think there's always an opportunity. It's hard to, uh, you know, you, it's, it's, it's very, it's very challenging because it's also very hard to vet those kinds of opportunities. It's not like I would ever go into a deal like that if it wasn't for, you know, having a brother who's been in the middle East for, you know, 15 years and running a sovereign wealth fund. So, so, but there is, I think, looking for, you know, opportunities through your networks like that um, and not just focusing that you just have to be real estate. You just have to do that is probably a good idea. So, yeah, Good thought. Good thoughts. Thank you, Buck. Does anyone else have anything they want to like throw out there as to like what they're looking at from an investment perspective right now with uh, the change in real estate? Well, I do a lot of um, funding for startups in the innovation space because we do a lot of work in the intellectual property arena. So 
a lot of private equity, a lot of um, mm -hmm. helping people raise capital and, and structuring their business so that they can grow. So we do a lot of um, angel investing and also long-term. Um, and then we also have money, a lot of money both in, in syndications for future towns and future growth. We um, invest long-term at this point. So. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. Um, okay. I want to hit on this one. I thought this was an interesting question. So as an investor, and, and they, they didn't give us a, a person, so I thought I'll just throw it out there. As an investor, how could you possibly negotiate more favorable terms as an investor than what is initially presented? So basically, they're just saying, um, is it reasonable to go in and negotiate terms on like a syndication as an example? Depends on how big your wallet is. <laughs> yeah if you're right. going to put a lot in there then they yeah, might be yeah. willing to negotiate right. the price yeah. right if, yeah if, yeah if, good, if, if you're good one thought. of 50 or one of 100 then no uh All right. it doesn't you know you have no leverage uh, yeah you yeah. can't really get you know terms changed completely for one person so that makes yeah, a lot it, of sense also whether it's a, it's a public syndication or a private one makes a big difference on your yeah. ability to negotiate whether it's a security document that's been approved to have a little less flexibility than a private deal so yeah good thoughts all right adam this next one is for you uh, this person says i've already paid off my mortgage, my cars, and all my debt, and it screwed my credit rating. Any advice? About twenty thousand extra income a month. I I would dig into how it screwed uh, the credit rating. Other than having no debt, you know, on the uh, on the credit report itself, um, my recommendation would be to take on some debt. You know, maybe go buy a a property or two that's that's applying to your credit report, and then use shred to continue uh, building equity in that. Um, it is, it is a truth that, that some people that pay off their debt, their credit will go down a bit as credit scores, credit ratings themselves can be based on 75 different algorithms. So some credit reporting agencies based on their algorithm, it, it may impact your score to actually pay off debt. Um, scores can be higher when you're actually carrying and paying monthly payments. So that's not out of the, out of the ordinary necessarily. Maybe I'll mirror something back in your presentation. You had talked about if you don't have a HELOC on your home, and but you have the equity to go ahead and do that. Would would that have the same effect? Do you think it would? Uh, certainly, in, in many cases, it would show up on the credit report. Mm -hmm. And if you were using it as a debt tool, then it would add to your to your credit score for sure. Um, and that's definitely something that we would we would counsel someone on as well. I mean, I'm happy whoever asked that question, reach out, let's have a conversation about what that looks like. And I promise not to be in an interrogation chamber when, when we have that conversation. <laughs> okay, Adam, I have a uh, kind of a build on question for you. Well, actually, it could be for Rod as well. But uh, we'll start with you, Adam, instead of using a HELOC, can we use the cash value from life insurance from life insurance policy as the sweep account for the method? In a broad term, the method can be used to pay down any debt, not just mortgage. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And in fact, you can use the, the um, uh, you can use the investment optimizer account to do that for sure. The difference is, and this is somewhat subject to how someone's finances are set up, the movement of the money uh, needs to be as simple as possible. 
And so it's helpful to use a HELOC because we can easily transfer that back and forth from checking to HELOC. Mm -hmm. um, but if the investment optimizer account, if we're taking uh, a, a loan from that from time to time and we're paying it back, then absolutely it could be used that way. Um, and in fact, it goes back to my idea of buckets of money, right? So the investment optimizer is a bucket, your HELOC is a bucket, a self-directed IRA is a bucket. Our goal is to create more and more buckets and the faster we can empty those buckets and create more flow to fill them back up again, uh, this becomes like a video game that you can't lose. And I always like to use the, the metaphor of uh, the giant bucket of water park that fills up and then drains on the kids down below. That's our goal. We're just filling those up and draining them. And the goal should be to, to put them, to empty them into a cash flow generating asset that, that Ken and Buck are talking about. Beautiful. Maybe the one thing that I would add to that, you, I like what you say there about the buckets and what the investment optimizer bucket represents is it, it's liquidity, but it's also working for you while it's sitting there. So maybe it's doing something in terms of growth and also tax efficiency that some of the other places don't do. So obviously if, if you're going to tap into it, great, but even if you're not, better have it sitting there than in a bank account or, or somewhere else. Okay, why don't we just do a couple more, Rod? I'll do one more, you do one more, and then okay. we'll wrap things up. Does that sound good? We don't want to keep you guys all day. Um, thank you, all of you for taking the time to be with us for this. Um, okay, so this question's for Ken. Do you have numbers of, on commercial loans that mature in the next one to three years that could potentially tell us how much distress is to come? So, yeah, I know... Um... The last one I read was the commercial office market was 3.1 trillion uh, and one quarter of that's uh, re being maturing in 2023. So, um, you know, the multifamily is a little different where it's, it has, um, it's actually in trouble too because of the uh, rate cap issue and um, a lot of short-term debt was used for value adds. Um, and uh, I don't have that handy uh buck do you have any of that have you looked into that no i'm i don't have it handy i've seen it though yeah it's a it's a pretty big issue uh we, we already had arbor trust go down uh, in texas uh three thousand units uh there's a there's a fair amount of uh operators uh, kind of the ones like buck was talking about maybe that aggregated some assets in the last couple of years that uh, even i've heard some that didn't even buy rate caps so uh which means that there's no way for them to get out of those deals. And um, so uh, it, it's right now they're starting to hit, the brokers are starting to deal with those. And we, we've looked at some, but if so far we haven't found one that's worth more than the loan. Well, just when we, we saw one uh, uh, that was uh, listed, the broker was asking for $20 million less than what they bought two years ago. Oh, yep. wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, we looked at one like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to swallow. Okay. Final questions to be for Sharon. Uh, is it realistic for the typical high income investor to be able to get their taxes owed down to zero? We hear a lot about that. Well, I certainly think you probably listened to Tom. I'm sure he talked, spoke about that a lot. And you know, we, all of these questions are fantastic. So we have a fantastic audience and you know, it comes down to your momentum of money. If you want to give it to the government, your money is going to slow down. 
So you want to find ways to maximize your investment, your return. Make sure you have the right experts on your team. Call Christian, Rod, Ken, Buck. They've got investment opportunities for you that can help you keep your mo your money and momentum. And that's you know that's where it begins. And you're financially free when the income from your assets exceed your monthly expenses, not you going to work. And so it's really important to, to pay attention to that. And every part of your strategy needs to include an analysis of how taxes can help you, not hurt you. Um, and so many times people go into a deal and they don't think about the tax consequences. I have somebody, oh gosh, a friend of mine that just uh, got 10% of her company handed to her. So she's now 51% without any strategy on the taxes. And it's a, it's a gift. It's going to be a major problem for her if she didn't call her tax person. And unfortunately, she didn't talk to me. So she's going to, you know, a lot of, a lot of backpedaling, figure out how to do that. So it's really important because taxes can be a huge benefit or a disaster. And you're not the expert. So you need to call somebody who is to make sure you structure your deal properly and understand what if you're buying a business, are you buying a stock, or are you buying the assets? Big difference. Real estate, understanding that you take advantage of every advantage from a tax perspective, which means you need to have a tax expert who understands the kind of real estate that you're in. Don't pay somebody to learn on your dime. You know, if you if you're in into apartments and you're going to own the apartment, you're not just a passive investor. Make sure your CPA has lots of experience doing that. They understand the benefit of, um, of cost segregation. They understand the benefit of bonus depreciation. They understand the benefit of making sure that it's going to offset other passive income that you have so that you don't sit here and have passive losses you can't use. So every one of those aspects, it comes with education. And it's better to go into it with your eyes wide open, understanding the benefit you're going to get than being having an oops at tax time. So beautiful. Okay. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, everybody. This has been a lot of fun. We have a bunch of compliments. I'm going to just read one from Vicki and then we'll adjourn. She says, awesome, awesome panel. A lot of really good information, direction and access to knowledgeable people. Great day. Well spent listening to all of you. Thanks so much. So I will... Um, just echo Vicky and say thank you to all of the panelists and thanks everybody who stuck with us. We had um, a good group of people who stuck with us all day. So thanks yeah. everyone. It's thanks been really everybody. fun. Good seeing everybody too. Take yep. care. Thanks guys. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.